So, Ira. Yes, sir. I did not know that you were a sports medicine doctor. Anthony told me. Yeah, yeah. That's what I did my fellowship in. Ah, okay. Very cool. And you work in the ER? I work in ER. do a whole bunch of stuff. I was getting confused <laughs> myself that way, yeah. <laughs> like a jack of all trades. Jack of all trades. Very Zero nice. mastery of any. Yeah. Well, you seem to have the medical marijuana thing down, or is that just your... That's what I spend most of my time doing. Funny, I trained my whole life in emergency medicine and sports medicine, and I spend all my time with medical cannabis. <laughs> <laughs> exactly what I... Well, we didn't have a choice. I had nothing. There was no training. I had no training. So uh, maybe I would have if, if there was like a... Here, training in medical cannabis. There really isn't, though. Still, to this day, there's not a whole lot of training for MDs no unless they go outside, right, and just right. pursue it themselves. That's it. And we have, like, educational programs like the one I did there. That's about it. So, yeah, yeah give us a little background so we know who the heck we're talking to, Dr. Ira Price. So, we, oh, are we starting? Let's do it. Let's start. Or how do I know who's, who, who's listening to me? You hey just guys. know. Hey. <laughs> Everybody's there. You're like the only one. Hey. <laughs> it's just me. Danielle won't turn her camera on, so she's she's being incognito. Oh, but there's about there. 20 of you guys there. I see you. Yeah, we're going to start probably getting some more because we put it on the group to join sure. using this link because we can't stream. <clears throat> well, first I'll just uh, apologize for being somewhat ill. I, uh, I've been coughing for, I don't know, about a month now, and I just can't seem to beat it. I think I need your help. Yeah. <laughs> hey guys. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell definitely. you, my type of medicine is not working at all. <laughs> so much for Western medicine. Um, all right. So, to say, uh, all right. So my name is uh, Dr. Ira Price. So just a little bit about who I am. First of all, thank you so much for inviting me on to uh, talk calling. about what I do. And, uh, I'm excited for uh, for this bridge. I think it's really important to bridge to bridge our worlds together, uh, coming mm -hmm. together, sort of of Western and Eastern medicine, and uh, it's uh, you know everything that we do pretty much stems from from what you guys do as well. So uh, it's really nice to bring these together, and I think cannabis is a great place in the middle to uh, to bridge that gap. So uh, a little bit about who I am just so uh, you get some idea of what brought me into cannabis and uh, how it is that I guess I have the ability just to sort of sit here and, and chat. Um, by the way, I will, I'm going to just take some, is this horrible that I'm taking Advil right now? Is that bad? Should I not be doing that? Probably no, not. No, you should probably be drinking some tequila. That's probably what I you should, should be Right. Right. Isn't that what they did back in the day? It could be. The elixir with, they had cannabis. <laughs> yeah. They had, they had, um, uh, opium in it, right? Yeah. I mean, these, these, some of these things would be fabulous to take. You wouldn't even know you were sick. Right. Well, you know, <laughs> they, I mean, if you look at the history of cannabis, it dates, dates 7,000 years, you know, to even 12,000 years actually to, to China. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. So a little about me. Uh, I'm a doctor of traditional Western medicine. I graduated from McMaster university and then I did my fellowship. I did uh, my residency for five years after medicine in emergency medicine 
So I became Royal College certified here in Canada. It's uh, the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons. It's recognized throughout the world, of course, uh, uh, when you're a specialist. And then I did a fellowship in sports medicine as well. Um, when I finished, uh, I wasn't exactly, I mean, I knew I was going to be working in the emergency department, but um, I, was, uh, I was sort of frustrated with uh, seeing early, the early days of the opiate, uh, opiate crisis that we're now dealing with in full effect. And I, and I wasn't really sure how to deal with it. We didn't have a toolbox. Our toolbox for the treatment of uh, chronic pain and pain in general is very small. You know, I describe it as you're trying to uh, trying to build a house and you have uh, in your toolbox, you have a, a nail and a screwdriver and you're banging in the, the nail with the back end of a screwdriver. That's how we treat pain. Mm -hmm. um, we, we don't really have... Uh, we don't really have mechanisms. We're slowly starting to come to them. And then I was frustrated with seeing patients presenting to emerge either, you know, overdose or looking, seeking more opioids or, um, or an acute withdrawal. And there had to be another answer. And, uh, and at the time, we didn't really know what that answer was. Um, and eventually, uh, you know, a, a friend of mine actually called me up one day. It's funny how I got into it. We'll get into the whole story, but called me up and said, hey, you ever thought about medical cannabis? And I said, what? I remember going, I went to high school. <laughs> so, uh, but I know nothing about it. And there's nowhere to learn. And this was actually 2010. You wouldn't even think this was so long ago. Uh, yeah. Or you'd think this was like, you know, like 20, 30 years ago. But cannabis, yeah. you know, cannabis has developed so, so quickly from a medical perspective in wet, in current West North America. Yeah, it's been around for thousands of years, of course, but the last hundred years had this massive stigma around it. And it was only really in the last eight years that we, we've made such huge leaps. Uh, really, the, you know, it started in maybe 2000, but it wasn't until 2010 that we made such tremendous leaps specifically in Canada around the medical use of it. And so I started learning about it through them without having any real background. Because um, I'll tell you, nobody in our, in my school, when I went to medical school or residency, even spoke about cannabis or the endocannabinoid system. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know how much you guys learn about it in, uh, in, in Chinese medicine, but I tell you that not a word of it was mentioned in my medical school. And it's the, one of the most abundant systems that exists within our body. If you can imagine you have a perfect plant that exists, that has the exact same stuff that exists in your body. And it doesn't need to be modified in any way. Um, you know, it's funny. I saw a, uh, I saw a, a post today from a friend of mine. He said, you know, we have an endocannabinoid system. When's the last time you heard of an ibuprofen uh, system or a Zoloft system? You know, <laughs> you, you just don't have it. Right, right. You, you need to modify it in order for it to work. You can literally take the plant and ingest it, and and it, it's it's perfect in just the way in the form that it's in. So mm -hmm. I made my way into uh, into the medical cannabis realm, but at that time there was nothing. Nothing really existed, and uh, so. I come from an academic, an academic institution at McMaster, and we're all about evidence, and it's evidence-based medicine. So I started applying evidence-based principles to, uh, to cannabis, and, uh, and they didn't exist, because at the time, we, had, we were part of a program where you'd fill out this, this big bunch of papers uh, that attested, it wasn't even a prescription for a doctor, we attested or certified that the patient was actually that the patient in front of you, excuse me, I'm going to cough. Hopefully it's not too loud. <coughs> excuse me. That the, uh, that the patient was actually using cannabis. And then they would tell you how much they were using. And you would just write down what they were using and you would send it into our 
uh, regulatory bodies, which uh, it's a federal program here. So we would send it into Health Canada. Some of these patients would tell, you know, doctors they were using 20, 30 grams of cannabis a day. That's nuts. Right, exactly. So, you know, at least I had a little bit of a background from growing up. So I know anybody that was using 20 or 30 grams of cannabis a day wasn't using it for the right purpose. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> different reason. yeah they, were, they were either selling it on the black market or they were doing who knows what with it. So yeah, really. I started developing guidelines. And, uh, and eventually those guidelines became a protocol and the protocol that's used by a lot of physicians around North America now and, and soon to be uh, uh, out in Europe. I'm heading to Brazil next week to give a talk at their first Congress, the World Congress of Cannabis. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, so that's why I got into, uh, into cannabis. But I do some other things. Aside from doing my fellowship in sports medicine, you know, I worked with uh, professional football for a while and I worked with varsity rugby for a while. About mm -hmm. seven years I spent with the uh, rugby team because <clears throat> that's um, a sport that I love. Um, and then uh, about a year ago, um, almost two years now, I became a coroner in the, uh, in, in the province of Ontario. In, in Canada, to be a coroner, you have to be a physician. And uh, so I became a coroner so that I could help write policy and uh, sit on sit on um, sit on committees that deal with things like the opioid crisis. Mm -hmm. And 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 that's sort of what brought me. And then I do some research as well. And we can, if you guys want to know about the research I do on cannabis, we can talk about it. But that sort of brought me to uh, the policy stuff. Sort of brought me into the recognizing that we. Um, that there was a that we lacked education that there was a, a tremendous lack of education not just for physicians yeah i spent you know half my life over the last eight years dedicated to lecturing i've maybe given i don't know five six hundred lectures over the last eight years on uh, medical cannabis anywhere from academic facilities uh, like medical schools to uh, residencies to nurses to general public to elderly to like you name it to uh, I, I've gone like through the whole gamut and I realized that education is a key component to, to being able to have an understanding of how we can use cannabis to its full potential and decrease the stigma that's been around cannabis for the last hundred years. Cause it was only really in the last hundred years that cannabis lost favor. And the question is, why did that happen? You know, we've used it as a medicine for thousands of years. It's not like it was something that, and it's not even a medicine that, that was questioned. You know, it wasn't even a questionable medicine. Like all of them, even traditional Western medical schools uh, taught about it. And, and you know, uh, the American Medical Association backed it, the Ontario Medical Association, the Canadian Medical Association, they all backed it till 100 years ago. And so why did it lose favor? And it certainly wasn't because of the medical properties that lost favor. It's mostly based on greed and racism and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and, uh, and a social... Uh, like a social agenda that pushed it out of favor. So I started to bring that back and we've made such tremendous change, but I realized that we need to decrease the stigma and we need to get rid of what I call confirmation bias. And that's our, uh, our, our own perceptions of what cannabis is specifically from a healthcare practitioner's perspective, because the way that we were taught is all the only way I was taught about cannabis was in my toxicology class. When I was uh, learning about toxicology, it was a toxidrome. This is what you need to know. And that's it, right? That's all they taught us. So I developed this program, and that brings me to, you know, a program that, you know, 
that initially was called CARE. Eventually, it'll be cannabis, uh, the uh, cannabis educational program uh, or platform. Um, and 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 it takes you literally from knowing not very much, nothing really about cannabis, all the way through to prescribing cannabis. We have to prescribe it um, or recommend it. And uh, so it's broken down into three major modules, <clears throat> the, pro the educational program. The first one is the history of cannabis. And that takes you, that's really where we start breaking down the stigma that's around, around, uh, that's around it. So where did cannabis start from? <clears throat> you know, why, where, where was it in, in essence invented? And I mean, this can, it's shrouded in rhetoric, of course. So it can go on for years. Like, right. uh, and, and whose myths were they? You know, uh, we find it in, we found it in, in tombs of ancient Chinese shaman all the way up to, uh, you know, uh, 3,500 years ago. But we also know it's been around. We found it on, uh, on, on pottery uh, in the Yangshu era back in China from 12,000 years ago. So <clears throat> we've seen, we've seen it all the way uh, uh, progress over 12,000 years and, you know, where did it start from? So I take us sort of through using systems of thought, a social political system and then an economic system and keeping those frameworks in mind. We talk about the history of cannabis. That's the first, um, that's the first module. And uh, then the second module. So we sort of break down, uh, the paradigms that we've sort of created in the last hundred years. So we break down the stigma that's around it and we break down our own confirmation bias. Then the second module takes us through the science of cannabis. So what is cannabis? What are the exogenous cannabinoids? So <clears throat> what is the plant itself? Uh, and uh, uh, I mean, it may not be um, a system. It depends. If I was a botanist, I would call it the endo or the, sorry, the exogenous cannabinoid system, but being coming from a science perspective, you know, or from a human um, human physiology perspective, I'll just say the the exogenous cannabinoids and their elements. So, what is the plant? Where what kind of plants are there? What is the difference between, for example, when we talk about sativa and indica? What does that actually mean? Mm. And where were the invent? Where where were these plants? You know, where are they localized to from a geographical perspective? And then we talk about <clears throat> the endocannabinoid system which we've only learned, learned more about in the last 30 years. And what is the endocannabinoid system? What are the cannabinoids that exist already within our body? You know, we have them. And one of them, of course, we call anandamide, which translates Sanskrit to the bliss molecule. But somehow it's okay for us to recognize that in Western medicine and call it anandamide. But yet we have an issue with, with, with the euphoric feeling of the plant. So there are so many things that we try to break through and we go around and we talk about the different cannabinoids and their different receptors and we break it down to the science. Uh, and then we talk about some of the risks because every plant in every medicine, every drug comes with both positive and negative. So we have to understand if we're going to prescribe and recommend something, we have to understand the risks associated with it as well. Excuse me. <clears throat> And so the, what are the risks of it and are the evidence-based risks surrounding it? You know, it's funny. I'm a proponent <coughs> of cannabis and I prescribe it. I probably prescribe cannabis to 10,000 patients plus and my research is all done on the side effects. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's because I, I feel like we really have to have a good understanding of them. And we do. Honestly, we've, we've spent, you know, 30 years trying to prove how bad it is for us which is great because it's really just shown us how uh, that it that it's it's 
of all medications we prescribe, it's relatively um, less harmful. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we talk about the benefits of cannabinoids. So why does cannabis help us? How is it that, what is the interplay between the exogenous cannabinoids or the cannabis that exists outside our body? How does that interact with the stuff that's already in our body? But then also in, during metabolism, how does that interact with other medications we may or may not be taking? So we talk about all those types of things. Uh, and then, um, and, and, that's, and that's the science, the science of cannabis. That's module two. Then module three, that brings us to the dosing of cannabis. <clears throat> How do you dose it? How do you dose a plant? I know that you guys do that on a daily basis. We never did, but how do you take mm. a percentage and turn that into a milligram dose? How do you take something that doesn't really have a, that's, that, that is a plant that we're not actually synthesizing, that you're not synthesizing, that you're literally giving a plant to somebody. How do you tell them to use a plant or how do you tell them to use an oil and how do you break down THC and CBD into what's actually required for you? Um, you know, of the cannabinoids, just to break it back, I know you guys talk uh, in the U.S. talk a lot about, you know, CBD or cannabidiol, which is just one of the, uh, of the, the, I don't know, 150 different cannabinoids. Um, but uh, here we, you know, I talk about uh, not only CBD, I talk about uh, THC, I talk about the the metabolites of THC, like THCV, which is excellent for weight loss, for example, <clears throat> and also for uh, digestive issues, <clears throat> great at decreasing acidity in your gut versus using something like a proton pump inhibitor. Um, and then we also talk about CBC, CBG, all the different cannabinoids. The main focus is on uh, THC and CBD. So in the, in the dosing guideline, then break down the dosing guideline into an actual res regimen. And in that regimen, we talk about how cannabis, um, how, how one can start if they've never used it before, uh, based on principles that have already been published, but there are no actual national or international standard for how to dose it. So I sort of created one and uh, that most physicians are using now. And so that will take, that takes us through the third, uh, the third module, all of which are recorded. Uh, and then you're pretty comfortable with having a good thorough understanding. If you have a healthcare background at all, you'll have a pretty good understanding of where to take somebody from the beginning to the, to the end, from starting somebody who's never used cannabis or the cannabis naive patient, all the mm -hmm. way to somebody who's now using cannabis on a regular basis to help with their ailments. Now, are you going to be taking them off of their other medications? Of course not. That we leave for whoever. I don't even take people off of them. I leave it for the prescribing physicians. Whoever prescribed them the medicine is responsible for the medicine. That's the way mm. I see it. And so I will make recommendations on how to take somebody off of their medicine, but I won't do it myself. Sure. Um, sure. Unless, of course, they're illicitly using them. In which case, uh, I, I use uh, I use it as a form of harm reduction. Uh, although I don't really I use more of the word wellness than I do harm reduction. I believe harm reduction is a prohibitionist sort of mentality. The idea that we have to protect you from something. It's that old patriarchy <laughs> that we need to rid ourselves of versus wellness where I'm, we're working together towards something that's more beneficial. So <clears throat> I would work towards that with the patient if they were illicitly using another, another drug. So that's basically what it is. Does that, 
you know, that's 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 who I yeah, am. Yeah, there there are some questions that I wrote down. I don't know sure. if other people are going to have. Do you see questions on your end? I think we have. I see Anthony writing this. Uh, you know, <sighs> you wrote a book here. You're he wrote a book. Yeah. <laughs> Importance of TCM practitioners be able to clearly and concisely communicate a diagnosis. I mean, <clears throat> if we're talking about Western medicine, if you're you're talking. Uh, so they have a yeah of course I mean I think the the most important thing is that we all communicate with with a similar with a, we have to communicate communication exists between two people Anthony I guess we we we've spoken about this before and I think the most important thing is that we have the ability to communicate between different practitioners so that we can we can do that it's super important to do that instead of speaking in relative terms we speak in we speak in, uh, in I wouldn't say absolute because we don't know them um, for certain, but it's it's super important that we're we're clear before we and before we we create our treatment plan. Do you find that, or do you have another question on your end, Ira? I won't. Well, that's all I see. That's all I see. Um, do you have a bias one way or the other? Do you see CBD having more? more possibilities with less side effects is it the most safest of them or do you see thc definitely having its place but cbd have it having you know they both have their place mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know i i i often hear you know there's just this article written um the other day by the president of the ontario medical association who said CBD is the medicine and there's no need for thc i when i when i hear these things i think of of people that are making absolute statements based on a lack of education. So I, I think anything that when we talk in absolutes is um, is a little bit silly. There's a place for both. So it's an excellent, excellent question. THC, CBD specifically has its role in, as an anti-inflammatory, an anti-neuropathic pain medication, neuroprotective medication, um, an anti-seizure medication in certain, in certain, in specific seizure disorders like Dravet's syndrome, pediatric, uh, a pediatric population. Um, uh, that being said, at the same time, it doesn't work for things like IBD, like Crohn's or colitis, which are inflammatory processes. But yeah, you know, it, it, in your gut, the inflammatory cannabinoid is actually the opposite one. So THC is beneficial for things like Crohn's in the gut. And it's good for non-neuropathic pain, and it's good for nausea, and it's good for overall sense of well-being and sleep. Right. So it has its it, and it's also very good for, as a neuroprotectant, um, and and those are all, the, and those are just a few of the things. Uh, you can look at Alzheimer's. It's uh, probably the number one. It's not prime time, and we should never be prescribing this. There, it's not a, uh, it's not your number one, two, three, or fourth line therapy. Let's say in Alzheimer's disease, but it is a major inhibitor of beta aggregation, and beta aggregation as we know the tangles that you get in your brain are one of those is, is, the, is the largest cause that we know of uh, for mm-hmm. Alzheimer's. <clears throat> so it inhibits beta aggregation. That's what THC does. It does a lot of things. The problem with THC is it's also the only cannabinoid out of 160 that has euphoric properties. But it, which brings me to another point. <clears throat> if you're looking at euphoria as a negative thing, and for some people it is, then I think what we need to do is we need to shift the paradigm and let's look at the national. I'll look at, I I talk about our national guidelines, which I know, which I know well. Uh, Let's look Mm -hmm. at pain. 
when we look at the national pain guidelines and the number one reason one would use an opioid uh, for pain, the answer always comes down to analgesia and euphoria. But somehow when we talk about cannabinoids, euphoria is this major negative feeling. This negative <laughs> somehow, hypocrisy. Right. It's a pure hypocrisy. And if you look at the side effect profile, you'll never find it listed under a benefit like you do with an opioid. It's always under the number one negative side effect for the use of cannabinoids, of THC, because it causes euphoria. So it's okay for one side, but not okay for the other. You know, <clears throat> certainly we don't, we can, we can abuse it and you can use it just to get, you know, higher, to get high. Now sure. we have an adult, we have an adult rec market for that. You don't need you don't need medicine. You don't need cannabis as a medicine if you just want to get high. I don't have an argument for those people that want to get. That's fine. People drink alcohol because they want to have a good night. My mm -hmm. argument is it's a lot safer to use cannabis. But mm -hmm. the uh, but you know that's the only argument that I will ex that I basically accept under in the rec market is purely I just want to get high. Sure, I have no argument with that. Right. Um, but uh, from a medicine, definitely. You know, as especially as a plant-based medicine, that's probably this most natural of a medicine that you can find that has specific indications that have been tried under randomized controlled trials to be proven beneficial as you're going to get. Right. So right. how can we deny it? We can't. Well, how much longer can you deny? How much, like, this is so obvious. Are you getting, are more and more people that have some sort of clout some sort of connections with politicians. Well, they must be getting somewhere. I mean, Canada just legalized it, didn't they? Yeah. So federally, yeah, Canada has federally legalized cannabis for recreational purposes. It's been medically legal here for almost 20 years. Um, so actually, Canada's way ahead of the U.S. Probably more than researched and what information you've gathered. Yeah, we, we, we have a lot of research here. We have a lot of, it's a pretty open, uh, open industry. But I'll tell you, nothing happened here until 2010. Until 2010, we maybe had 10,000 people that were part of the, the program. Now we have over, well, I mean, our whole population is like the size of Texas. But we have maybe <laughs> you know, a million people in Canada that are part of the program. But Still, that's um, a lot of data that you can get. We have a ton, gather. ton of data, ton of ton yeah. of it's uh, it's all over. So, but yes, and I think that's. I mean, data is the new is the new currency, right? So mm -hmm. we and and we're collecting it left. We're collecting it left and right. So uh, it's it's really yeah, it's been great. Now, where I will tell you that, you know, the U.S. is slightly ahead when it comes to CBD. The U.S. is federally legal to to have, to to hold CBD, <clears throat> not for us. CBD is not legal here. We cannot extract, as long as it's extracted from hemp for you guys. CBD, it's now, it's legal if you buy it from one of our government controlled stores, by the way. So when well, we say it's federally legal, it's only federal, it's like federally legal within, in like the context of, uh, of, what, of the government wants to sell you. So yeah, you, can right. carry it, you can carry it, you can use it, but you're sure as heck can't sell it without permits and all the other jazz. Mm -hmm. And CBD is still illegal. Like, we cannot extract hemp. Our hemp industry is like even more guarded. It's more. It's easier to grow a an actual cannabis plant sativa versus cannabis sativa L, which, by the way, is hemp. Uh, hemp is hugely regulated, and we can't extract. Can we are not even not even allowed to extract CBD from hemp here without it being uh, 
without it being uh, illegal. Now, the yes. government can, and the licensed producers yeah. are allowed, and they right. can go right. and sell it. Sorry, I got a question yeah. here. I got three, sure. I got questions everywhere. Let me go through the first one. Can I talk more about how marijuana, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> will fit, or the futures of how it fits in pain protocols and fit with uh, TCM? Well, I'll talk mostly, let's, let's talk first about how it fits with pain. Uh, like I had mentioned earlier on, our toolbox for the treatment of pain is, is tiny. Cannabis has been shown to be a safe and effective treatment for chronic non-cancer and cancer pain, specifically inflammatory pain and non-inflammatory pain. Um, so I think it has a role in there for sure. Now, is it your first line therapy? I, I think for, it depends, it depends which practitioner you go to. For me, I'm fine with starting somebody on first line therapy with cannabinoids because I'm quite experienced with it and I'm willing to talk to my, to, to get into it with my regulatory bodies. Our regulatory bodies recommend it as a second or a third line, never as a first line. So some would argue that I would, uh, my argument is it's safe and it's effective. And I have data to back that up. Um, but for the majority of people, using your traditional methods first is fine. Now, in traditional Chinese medicine, you're plant-based medicine, and it, like, you, you work a lot with plant-based medicines. So I don't see how it wouldn't and how it couldn't fit into your regimen. It, makes, it wouldn't make sense to me if it did not. If mm -hmm. it should be anywhere, it should be in the people that practice plant-based medicine. Nice. And I had, a, I had a quick question, Ira. Sure. Um, how strong of anti-inflammatory effects are we talking? Uh, the straight relative to like a COX-2 inhibitor, like, you know, which I believe would be like ibuprofen or something? Yeah. So if you're talking, right. So looking at a COX-2, which is ibuprofen um, or Motrin, like any of those, uh, any, any of those, um, <clears throat> there's never been a head-to-head -head trial mm -hmm. um, comparing uh, or a non-inferiority. I'm actually working on those now. I'm looking at non-inferiority trials or superiority trials. What they do is versus placebo trials. And versus placebo trials, it's uh, it, it's found to be it's uh, if you're looking at like a um, a visual analog scale, uh, you look at somewhere between seven and ten points decrease and uh, to be effective. So it, it's been quite effective, but there's never been a head-to-head -head trial looking at them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So the next question here is, please address CBD use and drug testing for employees results. Thanks. <coughs> Excuse me. Another good question. So cannabis in the workplace is like a huge issue right now. We currently don't have a good method for testing, cannab uh, testing THC. Uh, we do these urine tests, but how long will it last in your urine THC? I'll get to CBD in a second. THC can last, last in your urine up to a month, depending on who you are. It stores in fat. It's fat-soluble. And uh, the chronic, chronic users will, uh, can store it in, in fat cells up to a month. So it can be positive for quite some time. CBD, on the other hand, if you use pure C, purely CBD that's tested CBD, CBD from hemp, for example, or a strain that has you know, less, less than 0.03% THC, you won't test positive for THC. You know, CBD and THC are different metabolites. Now, that being said, some of them can't tell the difference. So it depends which drug test you're using. Uh, most of the ones we now use here do tell the difference. And I, I can tell the ones that from patients that I prescribe. 
they'll test negative for uh, for THC if they're using CBD. And also, if we're talking about employment, CBD doesn't affect cognition and you can work with it. Where things that would affect cognition, um, like THC, mostly affect um, uh, reaction time and short-term memory. Those are constant across the board. Mm -hmm. Everything else is quite variable. And I'll tell you, most of the studies that I've looked at and reviewed, IQ plays the largest part. Those with higher IQs tend to have less effect over their, over their, uh, over the broad spectrum of cognitive tasks. Hmm. What's the best absorption uh, way to to uh, get CBD in the body? Is it through the skin? Uh, GI? Is there a Great difference? question. Yeah, we're talking about bioavailability when we talk yes. about absorption. So there are different methods of, of bioavailability. Both THC and CBD, all cannabinoids are fat-soluble to begin with. So um, the least effective method of, or least effective bioavailable method is taking a fat-soluble cream and, uh, and, and, uh, and rubbing it on your body. <clears throat> There's no way it'll get through your basement membrane, so it won't get, it may help the skin but it won't absorb into the bloodstream. So you need to make it water soluble. For THC? All of them. Any canal. Yeah. You need to, you need to use a, uh, an emulsification or, you know, a, a solvent to, um, to emulsify it um, in a slurry and then you can, <clears throat> and then it'll absorb. And that's, that, that's fine. So after that, the least effective way of absorbing cannabin cannabinoids is through smoking, through actual combustion. Um, combustion me mechanisms is about 10 to 15 percent bioavailable from the active ingredient and that's because you lose most of it through side stream and burning it off and all the other crap so you lose most of the stuff uh, then you have <coughs> the, the next least method of, uh, but now I'll change that so actually no so after that let's go to the the least effective after smoking is ingesting cannabis. Ingesting cannabis has about a 30% bioavailability. That's because most of it is uh, cleaved off in first pass metabolism uh, in your liver. Mm -hmm. So it does go through first pass if it's not water soluble. So there's different forms of ingestions. If you ingest a water soluble form of cannabis, you can get upwards of 70% bioavailability. Even a buccal spray that's ingested can get up to 80%. It skips first pass metabolism as well. And then you have things like uh, vaporization. If you're vaporizing, which heats, up, which heats the plant up to a point that doesn't cause it to burn, but causes the cannabinoids to become active, you can get upwards of 50% bioavailability. Now, <clears throat> all these things, I mean, this, we talk about all this stuff in the lectures. Any more questions on your end? Uh, no, it looks like uh, that's all we got. Now, you're going to Brazil. Yes. Brazil has a new, uh, new president. What do you think the politics will be? <clears throat> well, what I can tell you is that there's 210 million people in Brazil. And uh, of the 210 million... 200 of them have 
a license to use cannabis. And uh, so currently, they're trying to figure out a way to, to, to make a medical system there. But if you want to use cannabis there, you have to be involved in a research study. It has to be in a, a phase three study. And if you're in a study, then you can, and you're prescribed it while in a study, then you can then import or purchase your cannabis. So it makes it very difficult. But hopefully in the next little bit, I mean, that'll change. Mexico changed. Mm -hmm. Uruguay changed. Like all, around the world, cannabis is pretty much medically legal in most Mm -hmm. countries. You know, even Germany has legalized it, right? Like you've got, you've got most countries and, and, and you look at Africa, there they've legalized it. Jamaica, like most countries and continents, have like have have legalized it. Of course, Ohio had to make CBD illegal. Or I believe it's, I believe it's government controlled now. Like government, yeah, yeah. So it's very strange. So the U.S. is one of those things. I mean, I don't think there's a leg to stand on, and I think you know, just today they find, you know, I think today shows what they, you know, epidiolects which is a CBD-based uh, medicine for pediatric seizures, which was uh, finally confirmed, FDA-approved today. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a federal regulation. I think is one of the first doors to, to making cannabis federally legal for medical purposes in the U.S. I, don't think, I think it's inevitably, inevitably going to happen. It's just going to be a slow process. And the states, I mean, each state individually has a is it's it's a different place it's different out there <laughs> yeah yeah for sure um i think robert had a question didn't he did it show up on oh which cbd oil there is a lot with cb cbd oil there is a lot of pain effective pain effective stands uh, charlotte's web is there oh strain strain um oh, okay. is there a strain that we should look out for that has a higher medicinal effect. Um, so Charlotte's web is, uh, it depends, you know, it's interesting. The question is, is Charlotte's web from in industrial hemp? So it depends if you go by federal law or you go by mm-hmm. state law in the U S where, where it's technically Charlotte's web is technically like, I mean, for my, our, my purpose <clears throat> is from industrial hemp. That's what the federal government will say, but the, the state government says that it's not, um, uh, correct. The state government says that it's not. And that's because if you take different portions of the plant <clears throat> and you test the different portions individually, it will come out to less than 0.03% THC, which in effect is industrial hemp. But if you grind it together, it comes out to about 1% THC in the plant. So <clears throat> the federal law says you can test individual arms, which is great because that's why CBD is federally okay from hemp. Mm-hmm. But the state that Charlotte Webb comes from, and I can't remember which state it is, says you have to grind it together. So it's considered cannabis in the state, but not federally, which is one of the weird things. So is it an effective strain? <clears throat> It's a fa- and are there other effective strains? It depends. <clears throat> CBD is CBD, and it doesn't matter where it comes from. THC is THC. It doesn't matter where it comes from. The question is, what are the concentrations of it? 
and how much can you get into your body? Somebody that has a seizure disorder needs upwards of three milligrams per kilogram per day of CBD. And if Charlotte's Web contains maybe 20 milligrams per milliliter, it makes it very difficult. Now they can concentrate the CBD and that makes it a little bit easier, which is why they like it because it's a high CBD strain. But there are other strains that have, and if you're talking about an oil, you can make oils into as much CBD as you want. That's why it's great to use oils because I can take any strain, wean out this THC and just put CBD in it. So, but is there, so the concentration of the actual, yeah. you know, THC or CBD, but are there also <laughs> different, different types or different strains that will have a different concentration of metabolites that will affect certain, or do they separate those out? How does that work where you get that particular effect as much as you can without any other effect that you may not be looking for? Right. So we're talking about the, you know, the entourage effect. You most, if you're talking about whole plant cannabis, you're going to get everything and you're doing an extract extract with a whole plant cannabis. You're going to get every cannabinoid, every terpene, every flavonoid together. And certain terpenes help the uptake of different cannabinoids. Uh Um, And, uh, and a lot of them have, as you guys all know, have their own medicinal properties like myrcene, for example, helps you sleep and linalool helps you relax. Like these are just, these are terpenes that exist all over the world. They don't just, they're not just unique to, to cannabis and uh and so you what you can do in the process of it's interesting in canada we have to use co2 extraction uh in order uh, the government mandates if you're selling it for medical purposes they have to use a co2 extractor unfortunately co2 extraction kills all the terpenes so what you can do is extract the terpenes first put it through co2 extraction add the terpenes back to it later on and uh if you want to. So you can, you can do anything you want. You can give a whole plant, which will have certain effects. You can take the plants, all these pieces out and make isolates, just make THC or CBD isolate. But my, in my opinion, the entourage effect is always more effective. Now we haven't put that mm-hmm. to the study tests yet, but that's just my opinion. Nice. Well, you got to start with a hypothesis, right? That's right. Going to the study, so. And we know that it's safe. So, and that's right. what I've been prescribing for the last decade. We have more questions. Can you, can you talk in more detail about dosing guidelines and some examples? I think we can, you can I'm not going to go into, I mean, that we'll be here all night <laughs> if I start mm-hmm. talking about the dosing guidelines. I think uh, if we do uh, some, some lectures or you watch the lectures online, you'll be able to, uh, you'll be able to get all those dosing guidelines. Uh, I'll just give you like some brief, just a brief, uh, some brief principles is start low and go slow. Mm. Um, so you find your most effective dose before you go yeah start low go slow and for me start vaping before you start ingesting i know you guys uh, may not be able to do that there but i like vaping over ingesting to start because it's Mm -hmm. quick onset quick offset the pharmacodynamics are very linear unlike the variability you get with ingestion what about that um they came out with the medication Marinol. Yeah, it was taken it off the market. It was. Why? Why was it taken off? I honestly, I can't remember exactly. To be honest, it was something about Marinol that it was inter. It, it was a THCV, I think. 
it, it was causing some significant side effects and I can't remember why it was taken off the market. Interesting. So it's not so easy to put this in pill form, is it? And why would you when, like you said, the plant matches the body very well? Very well. Now you can, it, you can extract. So basically the best way to put, if you look at the pills that people have, they're basically extracting the plant, sticking it into a little pill and then selling it to you. There's yeah. no, so like it's, so you can do that yourself. You can extract the, the plant yourself with a cheesecloth and, and warm water. Like it's, it's so simple to, and then put it into your own pills. Right. <laughs> it's difficult to do that for, you know, if you're 97 and don't have the manual dexterity, so you can go buy a, a, yeah. a, a cannabis pill, but really sure. it's just, it's just the extract put into, um, into gelatin, a gel gelatinous pill or something, whatever it is. <clears throat> and more questions. I think we have some more. Uh, okay. Dosing guidelines? No. You see something else? I thought I did. Maybe not. Let's see. Maybe not. Feel free to ask, guys, as long as they're brief, quick answers, because otherwise I'll talk all night. Yeah, I like the... Um, I'm checking my messy notes here. I can talk so, about a little, oh, sorry. No, I'm sorry. I was going to ask. So CBD, we talked about the different ways of absorbing it. Yeah. So you have a lot of good ways. There really is no re reason to make a synthetic version of this then. Of course not. <clears throat> I mean, because, yeah, you, you have the first pass uh, metabolism in the liver, but there's ways around that just by simply changing the way that it's administered. It's, it's, it's very easy to be administered in other ways versus some other types of medicine. Sure. Basically. Exactly. Now we've synthesized it. We have <coughs> on the market here. Excuse me. Sorry. I'll move that so you can't hear. <coughs> wow. That's my healthiness. Um, I need to use this people. Anybody got some ideas? Here's Mike. Definitely. Question. Definitely. So, please, somebody send Ira up something. Please. Honestly, it's been a month. I just can't. I don't know what it is anymore. And I had it back in June for two months. It just keeps going. Okay, so, um, sorry, back to your question. So in Canada, we actually have two over two two cannabinoids that have um, that are have DIN numbers that are that that are pharmaceuticals now. One is called Nabilone. Interestingly, all it is is synthetic THC. But somehow it's okay because it has a DIN number and a pharmaceutical company says that it's okay. It's crazy. It's on formulary in our hospitals. I'm probably one of the only people that prescribes it, but it's, uh, uh, they use it all the time um, outside the hospital as well. So that being said, we have a second one, and that's called um, Nabiximols, otherwise known as Sativex. It's actually a whole plant extract that has a DIN number because they did studies and it was good. Uh, that's a spray, a buccal spray. So there are mech other ways, but at the end of the day, you don't, you, you don't have to synthesize it. It doesn't need to be synthetic. I think we got it's a new question. Do any of the forms of administration cause positive THC saliva tests? All of them. Mm -hmm. If you're using THC in any way, it'll be in your saliva. What clinical examples of using marijuana that have impressed you? <clears throat> so for me, I wish I can show you this. My, uh, it's actually where my research is, and that's on the use of cannabinoids 
to decrease people's opioid intake. Um, I mean, there's so many examples, but for me, the largest ones are when we save lives. And I think decreasing opioid, opioid use, narcotic use is one of the uh, uh, pharmaceutical use of opioids is the, uh, is the number one thing that I'm, I'm constantly being impressed about. And I'm doing a study now called the cost trial, cannabis for opioid substitution therapy. And uh, we're at about, we have 731 patients who are enrolled in the study. We've approached 1,700, but only uh, 730 of them have uh, enrolled or met criteria. And we're at a, almost a 70% of that population have decreased their opioid use by 100%. It Damn. makes no sense. Yeah. So makes no sense that, like, like, like that, that this is still something we have to question. <clears throat> but I haven't published that yet. What what are you? I don't know if you're able to to say this since it's not, maybe not published yet. But what what are you using as far as uh, the the actual? So um, this, yeah. So so we're, this is a three phase trial. This is actually just we're we're doing a questionnaire right now. Um, this it's an it's a REB prospective questionnaire, but it's not an RCT. So it's not a uh, it's not a clinical trial. <clears throat> this is just a questionnaire asking specific questions to patients who are using cannabinoids and opioids. Um, actually, the, the reason we were, I started it, it's te technically an industry-sponsored study because there's no, no one else that would pay money to study the plant. <clears throat> um, uh, we are independent, of course, but the, uh, the question, the number one question we asked was which strains, which was their, uh, their ideas, what, what strains are you using to decrease your opioids if you are decreasing them? First, we say, are you on opioids, the whole thing. So we have a list of strains that people were using to decrease their opioids. And it's interesting because the results, which, which aren't published yet, shows two strains that are totally opposite to each other. And uh, so the question is, what is it that's causing the change? Is it the... Uh, is it the cannabinoids or is it something else inside it? So my, my hypothesis is that it's not, and this brings us to phase two, which is an RCT. Uh, and I can't go into many details of that yet because the sponsor mm -hmm. will be upset, but, sure. um, but I don't think it's just the cannabinoids say that. And we're going to set a trial up that it has the ability to test other parts that are in this plant outside of the cannabinoids. So, so that's pretty ridiculous. Now, I'm going to ask a question that you may have answered before. I know CBD, CBD it has anti-inflammatory effects. Does THC have anti-inflammatory effects as well? Uh, that's a good question. Um, <coughs> it does, but only in your gut. Very much so. Ah, uh, right. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, yeah, so, yeah. Was part of the, the study randomized based on the type of pain? Or the type of we yes so this study took all comers of pain uh, mm -hmm. looking at whole plant cannabis <clears throat> we did ask which strains people were using so we were able to elicit whether it was neuropathic pain or non neuropathic pain and then look at which strains they were using um, <clears throat> but that being said the next study is going to be looking at the which is the RCT takes one strain and looks at specific population this was an all comers this is a question from the chat. Any contraindications or drug herb interactions? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so 
first we'll talk about the contraindications. I have absolute contraindications to use of cannabis. The most important one is uh, uh, predisposition or a history of uh, psychosis. Uh, I think there is a causal link between cannabis use and psychosis in the predisposed population. So anybody that has that should probably stay away from cannabis. So it's one of my only absolute contraindications. Okay. Other contraindications would include things like uh, untreated bipolar, untreated depression, would stay away from things like THC. First of all, these are contraindications to THC, not CBD. Um, oh, I'm going to sneeze. Okay, it's going away. Excuse me. Losing a sneeze is one of the most aggravating things. Yeah. It's like you're so close and then... Oh, you there? I'm here. Oh, hold on. I lost... One second, guys. Sorry. Can you hear me? Oh, I I can hear you. you. There you go. Okay, you're back. When I take out these ear pods, they they disconnect somehow. I don't know. Some fancy... Um, fancy fancy ear pods you got there yeah i know yeah so um stay away from schizophrenia depression bipolar cbd may be helpful for but it's definitely not prime time um so stay away from those things also if you have a cardiac dysrhythmia uh somebody who has paroxysm that's not treated somebody has for example paroxysmal atrial fibrillation so they're they have an abnormal heart but it's not always abnormal thc has the ability to make your heart rate go fast. So somebody who's not always in an abnormal heart rate, it can push them potentially into that. So if they're not treated for it with something that we would traditionally treat it with, in Western medicine, we use beta blockers or calcium channel blockers, um, then I would be careful. Are there any Uh, other issues with the heart, PVCs or anything? No, so if somebody suffers from those things, THC can cause that. So Uh, you're not... It can exacerbate that or bring it on? It can exacerbate that or it can cause that. Now, of course, that that is in a very, very minimal. It's like uh, probably the worst side effect you're going to get is heart palpitations, you know, and and they're short-lived. But if you, it could exacerbate an underlying dysrhythmia if you had one. So you'd be careful in that situation. Now, drug-drug interactions. Um, oh, and of course, this takes away people that are abusing the drug. Of course, like, I mean, those are all just common sense contraindications. Um, then drug interactions. So cannabinoids are metabolized by your P450 system, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have a P450 deficiency or if you, um, if you are on a medication that, that – uh, that interacts with P450, like most of them, uh, a lot of blood thinners, for example, do, then you have to be careful. For example, if somebody's on warfarin or Coumadin uh, and they're using cannabinoids, we should check, monitor their INR uh, sooner rather than later. Um, people that are on anti-seizure medications as well. So it could change the, other medications, of course, can change the metabolism. And Correct. All right. <clears throat> That's right. Anything that really interacts with P4. Sure. Nice. Any other questions? This is an addictive topic. <laughs> it is. We could yeah. talk about this. All. And listen. No pun intended. You like, uh, yeah, yeah. We can do live seminars. We can run these things. This, like, we can, I can run mm-hmm. them for, for you guys. This is, this is, the topic is new. The, like, and we didn't learn anything about it. Where did you learn? No. I learned nothing I, about it. 
that's just it. I mean, this should be offered also as, you know, an elective in schools would be ideal. Although I won't hold my breath because. Yeah. Because why would they? <laughs> yeah. Trust me. Uh, I've been there for the last decade trying to. Now I'll <laughs> tell you, I do residents. I've resident. You know, what's funny. <clears throat> this is one medicine that's not driven by, by medicine. It's driven by the patient. It's driven by like the people mm -hmm. and it's driven by students. My residents would come to me and say, would you give a lecture? to X because we never got any of this. Yeah. Interesting. I have a, I'm just somebody who's not able to even be on may have a question. So I'm just waiting for that question. See if, see if she sure. Of course. Um, I'm just looking at my notes. If anybody has any questions, please get them in now. Cause we're about, we're, we're at the one hour mark. So we're about ready to wrap up here. Yeah, I got that one. I got that one. Colorado is, I think, the state where Charlotte's Web is. Yes, this that's right. <clears throat> it's in Colorado, yeah. Actually, it's interesting. The Char Charlotte's Web in Canada mm -hmm. um, have a um, – because we're not allowed to – you know, you can't take it across the border. Don't even think about it, and you're going to – Right. Down you go, right? I mean, yeah. was a, I was afraid to cross into the U.S. for the last year because they were talking about all – you know, we see it all over the media. If you're in the cannabis industry in Canada, it doesn't matter what you do. Even if you have an investment, you could be banned for life from going to the U.S. What at the, the discretion, hell? Yeah, really? at the discretion, yeah, at the discretion of, of border guards or whatever. And they can go through your phones. They can go through your tax records, blah, wow. blah. It's a huge fear here. People have yeah, – it happens so here all the time. Yeah. yeah. So um, me, I wipe my phone. I don't wipe my phone. It doesn't really matter. Like for me, you just know how to use Google. You're going to find me. So. Yeah, really. Um, but uh but yeah so charlotte's web uh we have a thing with the u.s where you can actually import it from the u.s to canada if it goes through health canada and a doctor i had a question too damn it was there and then i lost it but we have two more two more questions came in okay oh here from a wellness perspective <clears throat> is it recommended 100 percent um you know, you know, it's funny. My clinic is called Synergy Health Services, your natural pathway to, uh, to wellness. So <clears throat> um, cannabis, even, the whole plant is useful. Even if you take away the, the, first of all, the antioxidant effect of both THC and CBD is probably unprecedented that I haven't found in any other <clears throat> plant cool. to that, if that effect. That's why Tashkin in 1997, when he, when he was trying to, uh, trying to, he was trying to prove how harmful it was to your lungs. Now he's one of the largest proponents of it out of UC, USC or UCLA, um, was trying to show that smoking would cause cancer. Now we know that smoking, smoking causes cancer. I mean, just does. Um, but the antioxidant effect of tea smoking THC is almost strong enough to put your risk of cancer back to baseline. Um, now it doesn't put it back to baseline. So don't smoke it guys. It's bad. But, but it's that strong. So there are definitely good antioxidants. The leaves itself have, it also has a perfect omega-3 to omega-6 ratio. If you wanted to know that. Um, uh, it also is packed with nutrients and vitamins all in the leaves. So even if you don't smoke the bud, you, you know, if you're not using the bud, you're not vaping it or whatever, you can juice the leaves. And juicing the leaves have major effects. That's awesome. 
Yeah, the, it's whole, the whole, whole plant the is part of the plant. Yeah, is the entire plant. You can consume it in one form or another. That's right. Yeah. And I'm a Western doctor saying that, you know, that's not so simple. For yeah, me. you know, it's really tough because I know, like, in the U.S., I mean, I have friends that are MDs, and, you know, they'll want to go to an integrative place, and they have to be very careful because they will be chastised, and they will be no, run yeah. out of town, and they will be, you know, it's, it's a vicious it's a vicious I, world. I've, had, so. I've been down that road. I've had my license suspended. They tried back in the day when I started doing this. I just yeah. didn't stop, and now they're like, "Oh, what are you doing?" Yeah, 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 yeah. It took me a decade. It was scary though for a long time. It must have been, yeah. But we were saving lives, and we were taking people off of pills. <clears throat> yep. Last question. Yeah, last question. Oh, you have where is it? What properties in TCM would give? Would you give to what? to cbd or thc such as temperature channels enter i don't understand yeah that's, that's a tough one so basically um that would be that would be a good question maybe maybe stacy can answer that stacy donaldson has kind of is kind of kind of bridging the tcm herbalist she is a tcm herbalist and she is working a lot with cbd so maybe she would have an idea with the cbd in fact she's creating the good life products which are combining do, herbal medicine what i could tell you is uh, do you want to know at which which temperatures thc and cbd vaporize and heat like i know those things if that's what so, the question is the the question is more of a um a theoretical herbal medicine because every oh. every herb has a whether it tends to towards a heat in the body or cold oh, i hear what you're saying body. actually yeah. okay so the ayurvedic like in ayurvedic medicine uh, ayurvedic or they, tcm too they always have like you know the, the plant tends to be go yeah, up and maybe it descends and question. things like that and that that's definitely wide open for uh the tcm world to to uh kind of interpret like, and, and come you know up I, that's pretty cool. I feel like i may have heard an answer similar i have no idea but i heard an answer like to this when we were at the retreat I have some friends who practice Ayurvedic medicine and they were telling me, I don't know. Yeah. And I'm sure that some, some, there are some people out there who have ascribed those qualities to C, uh, CBD and THC, but it'd be interesting to see um, with the plant overall hemp. But um, yeah, what temperatures do they vape, vaporize at anyway? Oh, well, THC vaporizes at 180, uh, 156 degrees and CBD vaporizes at a hundred and uh, 187 degrees that's celsius so if we were flipping them well you got to do the calculation you, you, lose a, you lose a percentage of it when you vape yeah you 50 percent bioavailable when you vape hmm, interesting well this uh this turned out to be okay. a really really interesting topic this is awesome Good. uh your videos will be up on acuvids i have to get uh pdas and ceus for them yeah so i have, have to, to re-update them as i'm just going to change the I gotta change the. You gotta change some. Okay, so we will. I'll wait. I'll wait for that before I even put them up. Robert says yeah. thank you. Good Thanks. stuff. Thank you for coming on. Excellent. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. Pleasure. Yeah, this is awesome. And uh, you know, you're in the group, so please, anybody that has questions on the group, can they tag Ask you? Away. Of course. Right. Awesome. That'd be much appreciated to have you as the um, the go-to person. Yeah. To, to help with anything the on cannabis, I'm here. Awesome. And I can uh, find out if it's hot or cold or warm. I, I know yeah, something the properties the answer would be, to that. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. And thank you, Robert. Robert had a really nice comment there. Um, and Steve, 
put in some uh, some qualities. Thanks, Steve. He put in some uh, some qualities of that. I will be able to pull this this up, Steve. So even after we disconnect, I'm going to be able to print this off. So I'll be able to put this up for for everybody to see. Appreciate that that information. Right. Awesome. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I'm going to try to no, see. No problem. I don't know if I can end it on my end. Disconnect audio. Uh, Danielle, can you end? Bye, the... guys. Oh. Um, Ira, you can leave. Yes. There should be a way to end the meeting at the bottom right-hand corner. Oh, leave. Okay. See ya. Awesome. Thank you so much. See ya. We'll talk again.